Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Going down the mountain, gonna have myself a time. Family faces everywhere, number false without temptation. Going down the mountain, gonna leave my woes behind. Careful parking day or night, people howling out in favor. Going up the mountain, gonna see if I can't unwind. Welcome back to Mallowtown Vacation number three. And once again, from the Get My Go universe, uh, joining me is a man that's very proficient in uh, podcasting and has many, 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 many things going on around the place. He's from one half of the two-man power trip. Chad, welcome to Mallowtown. All right. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad we could finally uh, sit down to go on vacation together here. Uh, two worlds meeting is one. I'm always uh, happy to talk to you. I can honestly say one of the only people I genuinely like in the podcasting world is the Aussie guy. No. <laughs> so that is something that you can uh, rest your hat on tonight. I'm very uh, I'm, I'm much a fan of the uh, the Aussie guy. Oh, that's very kind of you, mate. I really appreciate it. And uh, obviously the feeling is mutual and I've um I've wanted to have you on for a long time to talk about uh, broadcasting and and you have become somewhat of a I guess not, not a mentor but I guess you know just someone I sort of look up to with this kind of thing because you you've done a lot in broadcasting and and as I said uh, before you you've got many podcast uh, projects but uh, as everyone who listens to Malatown knows uh, I always like to get an entry point uh, into sports uh, you know we all follow sports talk radio here on in Malatown so what was it for you as a kid Chad what got you into sports and got you hooked on it I got to tell you uh, sports radio is a huge huge influence on my sports uh, I guess acumen and my sports background my sports knowledge and a lot of stuff started all the way back with WFAN in New York, who is the flagship for all sports radio models across the world. It all starts and ends in New York City, of course, the uh, the mecca of everything, sports, broadcasting, television, news, a whole nine yards. Um, But it's just in my blood. Sports is in my blood, specifically baseball. We've talked about this before. I dabbled in all the other sports growing up, but for me, it starts and stops at baseball. My family, uh, even yesterday during Christmas, as we're recording this the day after Christmas, you know, the, the theme is always baseball. And my family goes back to the Brooklyn Dodgers back in Brooklyn, New York. And the love and adulation of this team, uh, the Dodgers, still you feel it to this day. You know, my dad is 71 years old 
we'll still talk about stuff that he watched at a Dodger game in 1955. You know, like we'll still go back and talk about these things because it has such a strong uh, presence in my life um, and my whole family's, uh, I have to say, existence at a wedding we were at last week. I mean, 90 percent of the talk is vintage baseball, Mets stories, Dodgers stories, Yankee stories. And I've just carried that on and I've kind of put the little pin in it and inflated it big time. And I, I, you know, I don't think anybody in my family ever would have thought there'd be somebody talking sports the way that I do in different platforms. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's in the family history. It's all about baseball going all the way back to my grandfather. My grandfather didn't play professionally, but you know, he played uh, amateur ball, um, you know, in the schoolyards and whatever the, the work yards. And uh, it just has always had such a high, high priority in terms of uh, the family discussion points. So I've just kind of hit inflated it, put it on steroids and turned it into somewhat of a career. Uh, But for me personally, it's all sports radio. And that's where I took everything that I've learned and kind of digested and now output it out to whatever I'm working on presently. Um, yeah, that's, it's quite interesting. Like the family influence on everybody, I think, is um, is what I get out of all of this. You know, everyone talks about their dad. You know, love this team or whatever. Interesting, you say about the Dodgers. Is there any is there any love in the family still for like for them in LA, or is it they they left? That's it. Uh, cut off. Nope. Cut off. Gone. Yeah. Nope. Because. Um, you know, it was it was about the story of the Brooklyn Dodgers. They were the lovable losers. They were even though they were. And this is something that I do love. They were the bums, right? They never won the title except for one time in 1955. Um, but they were always in it. They were always in the conversation. They were always contending for the, uh, the the division or they were contending for the World Series, you know, against the Yankees almost every year, it seemed like. But it's just something about the the blue collar nature of the Brooklyn Dodgers versus the high end Yankees uh, that I think that's what my family carried into uh, kind of going dormant for a few years until the bets were created in 1962, where hey, we want to talk about lovable losers. You want to talk about glutton for punishment. It is living and dying being a Mets fan. Obviously you see I'm wearing my brand new Mets uh, sweatshirt I got for Christmas, but uh, they took that Dodger fandom put it on pause for a few years. I mean, my dad checked in, he would read the box scores and they still watch Yankee games, went to Yankee games. Uh, and obviously the giants left right after the, uh, the Dodgers, but they just, they kind of mingled in the, in the sports world until the, um, uh, the Mets came. My dad said he, he, he said he had a Red Sox hat after the Dodgers left because it was the same logo. So if that means anything, yeah. he did, they just could not be Yankee fans. And how are you going to follow a team in LA in, in the fifties and early sixties? Of course. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, you, you speak about the Mets and, uh, for me, my knowledge of the Mets comes from Seinfeld, Keith Hernandez and, you know, the 86 Mets, um, that what, I mean, you would have been just the, just a uh, young little fella for that 86 Mets. Yeah. What kind of memories do you have of it? I was, uh, I was just about, I was just turned four years old when they won. In, in 1986. So that goes to tell you, I'm, I'm hitting a round number here uh, in, in a couple months, but which sucks. And I don't know, that's a different topic for another Mallertown. But I remember the hoopla. I remember the, the stuff going on about it. As the years would get, you know, a little bit more uh, advanced, I would go back and I'd check out footage and whatever. 
I was just around it. I just don't remember it because I was too young. Uh, but that team for me is the Mecca. I mean, it is. It, I, I still adore every one of those guys. Uh, Gary Carter, Lake Gray Hall of Famer. He is my all time favorite baseball player. He was my hero growing up. I got to watch a lot of these Mets play throughout, you know, my my growing up years. But that 86 team, there's something about them that's still obviously ESPN making a documentary about them. They're a polarizing group of guys. And you still to this day feel the uh, the momentum and the uh, the impact that they made in that one season that had there maybe been a wild card back in the 80s, they would have been there a few more times. That one year that they took over sports is is something, you know, if they don't win a title again for the rest of my life, I will live and die with 86. I mean, they that's my guys. I, I, what can I say? I love them to death. And I'm glad that you were able to get introduced to them through Keith Hernandez, because to me, that's one of the only ways I'd want you to be introduced to them is through uh, that mustache. <laughs> but, but doesn't that, that, that your point that you're making is that they did. They, they took over. They took over the country um, that year. They were the biggest thing. And, and it's something that still stands out to this day. And obviously Seinfeld did it and Seinfeld did it because it's such a big deal. Uh, yeah. so, so you're right. Like it is one of those single seasons you know every now and then a team has it where it's just a, a magical season that and you know the bill buckner thing the red Sox and their curse it all kind of intertwines to do, it does make an amazing story and i haven't got the chance to see the uh, espn documentary uh, i might do a brother martin espn if you're listening could you make it easier for me to watch it in australia <laughs> jesus um all right so we we You've mentioned your love of, um, of of sports broadcasting and, and sports talk radio uh, was a big thing for you. I was exactly the same thing as a kid. We didn't have much in Australia, but any chance there was sports talk radio, I, you know, I was all over it. Uh, so I know that you, you know, you went to college um, for broadcasting and, you, and you've worked in broadcasting. What was sort of the, the start point? When did you make that decision and um, sort of how did you work your way up? So it was definitely in high school. Without a doubt. I mean, I was the kind of kid that, yeah, I'd record talk radio and I would listen back to it. And it wasn't just listening back to it to hear the funny callers or hear the thing. I would listen to the jingles. I would listen to the presentation. I would listen to the update guys. I would listen to the hosts, how they would read the call letters, how they would kind of go about their routine. And you would all, I would always say, like, how does each host who starts a new hour, starts a new show, have the same repertoire, you know, the call letters, the time, the temperature. And I, I never realized what a format was back then, but I just was fascinated with how they put it all together. Um, I kind of tended to lean towards radio. Radio was always my first love, but I always kept an eye on what was going on with TV. And I didn't have the interest in TV as a, as a, as maybe a career as they did radio, but I still watch TV to watch the different styles. And one of the funny things that I do really look at a lot still to this day. And, it, and it's funny that it was such a, an influencing point. I used to watch how, how did WWF and WCW have the same product of wrestling on their television, but two distinctly different presentations. And that was something I would look at with, with the graphics, with the music, with the lighting, with how the ring is set up and how the fans are shot. And this is stuff that I would look at as a, as a teenager and be like, man, Whoever's doing this is like a genius that they can come up with a way to make two products that are exactly the same thing with different people on the shows, but make them look like they're not even in the same hemisphere. And that's what I think people say about WCW and WWF. I would do the same thing when it relates to talk radio versus 
you know, top 40 radio or, or AM radio versus FM radio. And you see the different styles and the different presentations of each station. And this all started in high school for me. And I, you know, I would listen to WFAN sports radio 66. I would listen to New Jersey 101.5, which was a talk station actually still is in New Jersey, you know, and then you jump around the dial and hear all these different personalities, these larger than life, uh, people, you listen to Howard Stern in the morning on the way to school. You listen to Opie and Anthony in the afternoon on a walk home. When I first discovered Opie and Anthony, it was in. I know we'll talk about that. But when I first discovered them, it was uh, I used to walk home from school every day and I'd have my Walkman with me. And I just remember toggling through the old tuner and I hit something. They were actually talking to a kid about backyard wrestling. And I remember being like, who the hell? What is this? Well, who are these guys and what, why does this sound like me talking or like regular guys talking? And I kind of, you know, it would snowball from there, but then I would jump around the dial at night and I would end up listening to political talk on WABC in New York. You know, guys like Michael Savage and uh, early days of Sean Hannity and Rush and all these big polarizing guys that would have these giant careers. But I didn't care what it was they were talking about. I listened to it. Now, did I put on like the Christian station? No, because obviously I want to listen. I don't want to fall asleep. So I, I, I tend to stay away from the boring stuff. Um, but it was just I would digest it. And it all started in high school. And, you know, it carried on from there. I didn't want to be a police officer or uh, a doctor or a lawyer. And I wanted to be making people entertained and happy. And that's why I decided to go into broadcasting. Yeah, look, you, a lot of what you say is similar to myself, but clearly I never had the, the drive to actually uh, kick on with it. But you know, just hearing you talk about being in high school and and listening to all these different all these different styles of uh, of talk radio, um, and uh, obviously, yeah, like I said, you, you you made your way in, and I understand that you worked your uh, worked your way onto Howard Stern uh, for a while. Uh, what? How long were you there, and what was that experience like? Being on Howard Stern. Well, you know, I'll, I'll use one little kind of like umbrella to put over my story. And it's that I, I always put myself in a and this is career advice or career perspective I'm talking about when I want to do something or be a part of something. If I really get behind it nine times out of 10, I will get there. And, and I don't know how I still to this day with my, my sports business. I don't know how I get around certain people that I get around. But I really just if I want to do it, I push it as hard as I can until I get it done. Uh, Howard Stern was absolutely like one of the more easy endeavors of my life to get into it. Uh, I went to broadcasting school. I tried college. College wasn't really for me. I did a few years at the local uh, community college. It just wasn't for me. I, I, I wanted to learn my craft. I didn't want to keep doing math class and I didn't want to keep doing science and this and that. And I was getting very frustrated. So I decided to go to technical school or broadcasting school, or trade school, which for those and this is career advice again, for those that don't know what they want to do at that age, find a trade that, you know, you can do and invest in yourself. And that's essentially what I did. I went to to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, which is in, uh, well, I'm sure it's still around. It's in uh, the New Jersey, New York area. They used to have branch out across the United States, but they closed up um, a lot of the satellite schools. Um, it was a lot of money. It was a lot of training. And it helped because I got a uh, an in with a guy who interned briefly at Howard Stern, who introduced me to the office manager. And I went through a few interviews in the hottest, hottest summer of 2005. And it was uh, 
No, it was 2004. Okay, whatever it was, 0405. It was the it was the the most um, by chance meeting I could have had in my career was to meet this guy and get introduced to the office manager, um, bringing my knowledge of Stern and my love of talk radio to the table meant nothing in this job. It, they don't. They, this is something people got to understand when you're pursuing something at that level. Nobody gives a shit what you like or what you know is if you can do the job and you show up every day, that's all they're concerned about. So I went through a few interviews and um, I got hired as an intern, which everybody hears Howard Stern. They hear interns. I was just an intern. <laughs> I, I wasn't on the air. I don't, I might've walked into the studio twice during commercial break. Um, but what I ended up interning for was the office manager who I had met originally. Um, and she was wonderful. Uh, her name is Anne Marie McCann. They used to talk about her sometimes on the air. Um, Anne Marie left like a month into my um, internship, and they asked me to kind of fill in the spot that she was doing behind the scenes while they looked for her replacement. So now here I am, just an intern, getting paid zero dollars and zero cents, uh, taking on this big, huge job behind the scenes at the Stern Show. Um, and I kind of ended up getting rewarded with ending up working for Howard directly um, in his home office in his apartment building. And it was all because I put in that extra little bit of taking on extra work. I remember answering phones when there was nobody around, everybody on vacation except for me and like one other guy and putting in the extra work to get, you know, on their radar and, and it worked. But it was, yeah, uh, 0405 uh, when I worked for Howard Stern leading into him leaving traditional radio and heading to Sirius uh, till about early 2006. Wow, that's incredible. I wasn't aware that uh, you, you actually got uh, that far where you're actually working for Howard uh, himself. Uh, that's, yeah, that's yeah I did story. not get paid by the radio station. I got paid by Howard Stern's personal production company uh, directly. Now, the paycheck was... <laughs> Very little. <laughs> Don't really live on it. And live and working in New York City, very expensive, especially commuting from New Jersey. But um, it was a hell of a, uh, a learning curve um, going from working little jobs to then being in New York City working for Howard Stern was freaking nuts and learning everything about New York, the buses, the trains, the commuting, the where do you go to eat? What do you do? you know, to get across town, having to go in cabs and this and that. And it's all like a crash course. You got to learn on the fly. It was one hell of an experience. But then I go back to then being in high school and saying, well, how are you going to get into broadcasting? Well, you got to take a shit internship where you get paid nothing, put in that extra work, get on somebody's radar. And within like a month and a half, I was getting paid to, to do half an internship in the morning and then uh, working in the afternoon at his office. I love hearing that, man, and uh, it just goes to show, like you said, you're willing to put in the time and the effort, and and like I said, the money might not be great, but what you learn is sort of priceless, and and it's a hell of a thing to have on your resume as well. And um, we're going to get on to his Howard's uh, probably main rival, I'd imagine, over the years, uh, very very shortly. But uh, for me, being a wrestling fan, and I sort of um, discovered you and got to know you a little bit through wrestling podcasts and and sort of podcasts adjacent to that. Um, you sort of lived out your dream a little bit there as well, didn't you? Uh, you went and, you know, uh, chased a job at, at WWE. Uh, tell me a little oh, yeah. bit about that and uh, that process of getting to WWE and any any stories you might have from your time there. 
Oh, it was it was a chase for sure. And it was me chasing them. They weren't chasing me. Um, it was funny. A couple of days ago, there was a, a tweet by a guy who works there now, uh, which now it looks like they all uh, are part of a cult. Anybody who works there, then it was a lot different. It was not this like, I love working for WWE. It's so great. Uh, this guy who posted a picture in front of the uh, the Titan Tower doors said, oh, you know, uh, four years ago, I came here with a resume and now I'm, you know, head of blah, 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 whatever the hell it was. Uh, I did the same thing, except I drove from New Jersey uh, to camp outside WWE to drop my resume off. And I got ignored. <laughs> I got uh, told to go away. I got uh, no resume accepted driving all the way there in a nice little suit and tie just to get on their radar and didn't work. Uh, back in broadcasting school, I was the wrestling guy. All my projects revolved around wrestling related stuff, mixing things, creating nice little, uh, you know, wrestling montages to music and uh, little highlight packages and this and that. Cause I had one goal working my way through the chains and it was to get to WWE in some capacity. And I would always apply on the corporate site. I didn't care what job it was. I did. I'd apply for like vice president in charge of marketing, or I'd apply for like the janitor. I didn't yeah. care what it was. I needed to work there in some way, shape or form. Um, and again, it was kind of going the internship route, um, but more production assistant route because they did pay they WWE to their credit very low, but they did pay for their lower end positions. Whereas people might just say, Hey, you, you know, you got 20 hours a week, show up. We'll give you something to do. Uh, I did get paid and did travel from New Jersey to Connecticut to work for WWE. Um, but before I did all that, the process of the interviewing was exhausting. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durban Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall Credit Card Bill. It was hours of interviews. It was multiple interviews, multiple days having to come back to Titan Tower or the production studio or a phone interview and just talking to people and people and people to the point where you're like, look, if you, the whole point of this interview process is to talk me out of wanting this job, you're doing a goddamn good job because I couldn't take it anymore. Like being like, look, I work a regular job during that. So I essentially I worked at Stern, but I still had a job back home, like on the weekends. So I would work during the week at Howard. I work on the weekends at U-Haul in New Jersey, lugging, you know, trucks and boxes and crap all around. Um, and I got to the point where I was like, look, you know, maybe I should just ex explore my U-Haul career <laughs> at this point, because this is this is terrible. Um and I remember going through the interview process and the best part of it, I will say, was getting to tour Titan Tower. 
and, and walking through those front doors and waiting in that lobby that if you've ever seen the uh, commercial for um, the Super Bowl uh, spot they did in 99, you see what the lobby looked like. I remember standing there, like looking around me like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm standing here. Um, and then you think of beyond the mat, the opening scene with the secretary and answering the phone call. And I'm sitting there being like, oh, my God, this is the same hallway. And this is this. This is that. And trying to keep it cool and like waiting for the undertaker to come around the corner, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Howard Finkel to come in and drop the mic from the sky and be like, hello and welcome to Titan Tower. <laughs> Never happened. So I remember going through um, Titan Tower on a tour and just being in awe of everything around me and just being like how the hell did I get here? Oh my God. Like, what do we, what is, this isn't real uh, going into a boardroom, talking with whoever, and then leaving and having to go home and then coming back for another interview where I went to the production studio, which is right down the street from Titan tower. It's behind a fence. Um, and again, I don't know if any of this stuff is even relevant anymore because I think they're moving out of Titan tower and the production studio I hear is completely changed from what it used to be. Uh, but I, I went through, probably three to four interviews in one day at the production studio. And the last one is the one that set the tone for my WWE <laughs> tenure. I met with a producer who the guy looked like shit. <laughs> he looked like pure death. He his eyes were like sunken in. He had big bags under him. He just sits down. He's got my resume in his hand and he's just asking me monotone repetitive questions that I've heard three or four times prior to this already. And he finally looks at me and he's like, look, I had a bit. My wife had a baby a few days ago. I've seen him once. I work 70 plus hours this week. I'm really tired. I really hope you get this job. He's like, but I really have nothing for you. So if you want to walk back in the lobby and wait for the next one, you can, if not, we can just kind of like sit here for a few minutes. <laughs> I was like, this is not the thing that I thought it was going to be. This is not the fun WWE I envisioned in my mind. This is terrible. This guy, I felt so bad for the guy. Yeah. I just remember being like, oh, so we're not going to go tour the archives now. Like we're not going to go through the tape library or the music studio. Like, and I remember walking back into the lunchroom area. It's a big open like lunchroom area. And there's, Huge posters hanging from the wall, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels and this and that. And I remember just being like, this is the job for people. This isn't their passion. This is a real thing. And from that day forward, my uh, starry eyed WWE, um, you know, view changed. So fast forward in my I swear I'll stop talking for a minute. Um I, I finally threw in the towel and I sent a certified letter to three or four people in, in charge, the HR rep to the guys I uh, interviewed with and like a vice president. And I withdrew from the interview process. I said, you know, like this is a great experience, one I'll never forget. But unfortunately, I have to move on with my uh, career pursuits because I cannot wait any longer for a decision to be made because it, it was months, man. If I started interviewing in like December, I, this was March that I never heard anything. OK, send those off certified mail. Very official. My dad taught me how to do that for this. I remember that very clearly. And uh, the next day or something they were due to be delivered. I got the call that said you're hired. And they wow. said, you beat out 400 something applicants um, and your letter 
showed your passion for how bad you want this position. And we would like to reward you with that. And I got a contract FedEx to me the next day, signed it. And the rest is history. That's great. And once again, another example of just keep hammering at home, uh, folks, when it comes to broadcasting uh, and, and, and getting anywhere uh, it's, it's all about putting in the, putting in the hard yards, putting in the time and the effort. Um, yes. This is one thing. And uh, of course, we're probably going to talk about get my go later on. But Well, we, well, I got the, would you like the ender of the WWE story? Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> it sucks. It was the worst job I've ever had. <laughs> I hated every minute of it. The pay was the shits. The, uh, the work was out of this world hard. They were so mean. I had to wear a suit every day to sit in front of stupid wrestling. I watched WrestleMania 23 or 22 or 23, whichever the one that they used the Peter Gabriel theme song for. I want to blow my head off every time I hear that stupid song played because I had to watch it in Spanish. I had to watch it in French. I had to watch it in English. I had to watch it from different angles. And I never want to watch the WrestleMania again for the rest of my life. The job was terrible. <laughs> All right, well, that's a nice. It's funny how many people walk away from WWE um, with a lesser lesser feeling about working for WWE. Um, it, it doesn't. Yes, seem I to resigned, out. by the way, from the position as well. I just couldn't do it anymore. It just was not worth the time. The money was horrible. It just. It, I've met great people. That's the one thing I will say. They do have very cool people that work there in, in certain capacities. You know, I'd watch like the segments a few months later on Raw and I'd see a guy that worked within the production office and I'd see this person and that person. There was never talk of me going anywhere on the road or anywhere outside of the production studio. I got to sit in, <clears throat> excuse me, for voiceover sessions, which I did love that. Um, and there's one, I forget, it's a velocity that is on YouTube where they, I believe they use the outtake of the, um, uh, the the commentary because Josh Matthews starts to go off on Colt Cabana uh, about how he was a jerk to him on the indie scene and how he big timed him. And I remember them yelling cut and having to do the whole thing over again. And I think they ended up using that footage on uh, the finished product, but it just sucked is when it, that is the true moment when work became a job was um, or, or your passion or your, and I was like, no, I, I, I did it for a while. It was great learning experience in some capacity. I have knowledge still to this day that I will carry with me. But the producer who hadn't seen his newborn and the um, just the, the just bitter and mean people that work there, cutthroat, very much cutthroat. Um, but just it was not not a fun job at all. All right, I'm glad I brought that up. That seemed to be a venting session for you, which is which is good. I like to see it. Um, I was yeah, I was just going to say before the thing, uh, the thing with get my go, which like I say, we'll probably close out our discussion with some get my go talk. But it is one of the things that I know that frustrates you a lot, and and the reason it is is because of everything you've just talked about as to how much work you put in uh, into getting to these different positions, and that these people. Like it's just so disrespectful to radio and broadcasting professionals to think that you can just press record on Facebook and think that you can go live yes. uh, and do this shit. I'm not the best. Look, I am not the best. I have a not great microphone, as I've come to learn. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a convenient microphone for me. You know, I, I have one that I enjoy to use because it's easy to clip onto my my desk area. But I'm not the best. I don't make a million dollars off of this part of my broadcasting career. 
I'm still, I still work for a broadcasting entity. I'm still active in the broadcasting world. I still pursue positions and, and opportunities inside of broadcasting. Podcasting for me was an outlet. It was, I, I would still love to work in radio. I have talked about working in radio still, but podcasting is an outlet. I'm in my house. It is controllable. It is something that I enjoy doing. Um, you know, the story I, I've told before with me and, and, and John Paz and the other half of the TMPT, you know, I moved away from my buddies in New Jersey. I moved away from my guys that we would hang out and watch shows with. Everybody used to come to my house. I was the first guy who had a house, right? So everybody come to my house and watch pay-per-views. We go out to shows. We do this. We do everything you could imagine. And when I moved, I lost all that. So John being my friend at that point for 10, 11 years, best friend, wedding party. You know, I, he was a groomsman at my wedding. I was a groomsman in his wedding. I lost all these guys. So I said, well, why don't we take our broadcasting experience? John went to school for broadcasting as well. And let's do this podcasting thing. I'm seeing people do it. We can do it just as well. And we, you know, stumbled into doing these interviews that still carry on to this day with what John's doing. And the rest is history. When I see the people that don't put in the efforts, that's where I start to lose my mind. You, you are, you, you have come such a long way in how you, you told me you wanted to wait until you could do it perfectly. You wanted to wait until you could actually like feel like you could carry a show. You didn't want to just jump on and start talking or whatever. I see guys like, like, like Joe Feeney, who does such an amazing job. You don't need broadcasting experience to be a good podcaster. You just have to be a good broadcaster or uh, uh, podcaster. You just have to put in that effort. You have to put in the time to, to, to hone your craft and get great at it. Mike Durban, meticulous about wow. stuff. Yeah. He is so like, like uh, just uh, uh, aware of the stuff that he wants to cut out the stuff that he, you see disappear, but we're sitting on those live shows together. And then you see the finished product and you're like, wow, man, that was pretty sweet. How he would transition away from this. It's the people that want to put in the efforts and they want to make themselves a better performer or better uh, uh, content creator. I hate that word, but I will just say it a yeah. content creator and the laziness of others. It hurts the whole industry. And when I see people who start to get recognized for lazy presentations, it really annoys me because I don't get it. I, I, I quite frankly don't get it. No, I agree. And you're right about Mike uh, and his meticulous nature. And, um, you know, I've said it to him before, like I go on those recordings and just whatever good comes into my head, I'll throw it against the wall and we'll see if it sticks. And if it doesn't stick, Mike will clip that shit out. You know, Mike is, yeah. Mike is so good at making you like he even somehow manages to make certain lines funnier than they actually were, whether it's yeah. by adding visuals or just clipping out some of the nonsense that, you know, actually refines the joke down. He's, he's a genius. Um, but I, I know that, um, I know that you're aware of Husey and myself doing a top five, uh, O and a bits, OP and Anthony bits the other day. And, um, and Husey is always, uh, very, very keen to bash, uh, OP, Greg OP Hughes and, and I'm, is. I said Poor to you guy. the other day, I'm sort of in the middle. And because um, <laughs> there are times where I've listened to Opie and Anthony, I'm just like, Opie, shut the fuck up, you know. Um, but I also do appreciate the history of the show and that it began with Opie and, um, you know, he brought Anthony on board. And one thing I'll say for both my Hughes, Hughesy and myself, 
like we heard the XM years, um, and I think by that time they already hated each other. They might it might have happened early in the XM years, but it was sort of they pretty much hated each other for the rest of that time. You got to hear them in their early days on commercial oh, yeah. radio. So yeah, here's your opportunity to have a little bit of a rebuttal because I know Opie is a is a, a big influence to you, and you're a big fan of Opie. So why don't you rebut Husey and let me know about the early years of Opie and Anthony <coughs> and what made you fall in love with them. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody who doesn't give Opie a shot is hooked on phonics and stuck on stupid. Okay. <laughs> and that's, that's just, we're going to put it plain and simple as that. Opie is my, one of my, if I was to say he's top broadcasting influence for me. And that is because somebody has to be the driver. Somebody has to be the dickhead. Somebody has to be the asshole. And, and unfortunately he had to take that on because of his background, because of who he was. Prior to Opie and Anthony and being a radio personality, being the main guy of the two in terms of decision making processes, negotiations, um, and then moving forward as the show evolved and as the staff got bigger, you need to be the boss. Somebody has to be it. You don't delegate that. It just kind of happens. And that's what I see in the years of listening to them is that Opie was the guy who, excuse me. I didn't mean to drop a rue there and, and cough into the microphone. Um, he absolutely had to take on that position as the asshole. Um, but I don't think he was. I listen to him and I hear the guy who has to butt in where he butts in, go to the calls when they need to go to the calls and really transition into the next phase. You have to read spots. You have to do this. You have to hit the, the commercial points. You have to listen to the outside factors, the management, the program directors, where you, you need to. And I don't think that that was something that maybe if Anthony wanted to do it, he could have done it at that point. Opie needed to be the guy. You listen to those early days when they were flowing. Right. And though I'm telling you, I go back to the tail end of 98, all through 99, all through 2000. Those guys were on another stratosphere of putting out great content. What chemistry. And that's when they were buddies. That's when they were friends. Um, what can you say? I mean, sometimes you grow out of love, right? In this instance, they just, they, they, they had something good together. Okay. You need two to tango for Opie and Anthony. They created this universe around them. So they were able to borrow from the universe, but they just drifted apart. And that's what happens in partnerships and friendships. You drift apart, but that doesn't mean you can't get on the air and still create magic. And some of my favorite things they ever did were when they hated each other. Yeah. Because I used to just love at the tail end where they would just put on something for an hour and riff on it. And I'd be captivated because that was when it was natural. It was funny. I've never been a big Jim Norton fan. I was never a Norton fan from when he came on in, in 2000, 2001. Never a fan. I thought he killed the chemistry. I thought he absolutely was the cancer of the show. And as we've heard Opie reveal over the recent years, I was right. So really, I should have been there the whole time. But, you know, they didn't answer my emails when I was trying to defect from Howard Stern. <laughs> I that, would have been the email. Good, that would have been a good bit for him. Tell you, they could have brought the, on the The best Howard part was on. I told this to Opie. I went on Opie's live stream. He invites people on someday. I went on Opie's live stream and I told him the story. I worked for Stern. I had an NDA that I would not sign. And I was like, I'm ready to jump ship whenever you want me. I'd email whatever the Opie Anthony inbox was. I'd be like, I work for CERN. I'm ready to come over. I'm not signing this NDA. I'm ready to tell all. <laughs> Nobody ever called me. And I still think Sam Roberts is behind that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that little weasel. 
kind of stand that. Oh, he's got a shaved head now, Dean. He's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I he bet shaved his head and has and has a beard. Yeah, I bet he still eats like a child, though. Um, and, he, and he probably is a beard, for all we know. But, yeah, you know. that's true. <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? Oh, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you a little bit about Norton, and I'm, I'm a little bit with you. Uh, I've, obviously, I've laughed at Norton and, and and all that, but I really loved when you know the times where Norton was like, I think he was filming Louie, so Bill yes. Burr, Bill Burr would be in uh, in his chair a lot. Uh, Patrice would be in his chair. I loved that stuff, like when the, another comedian would sit in uh, in Jim Norton's position. That's when I felt like the chemistry was really great. Right. I didn't think they needed anybody. I was there to listen to Opie and Anthony. I would have listened to them just talk to the callers or riff on a topic rather than need somebody there. Now, when everybody would come in, like in the, you know, in the late 90s, whoever they they'd bring in Brian Regan a lot, you know, you'd hear Stephen Lynch, you know, they, they had a, a good rotating group of guys, uh, people then even too like you would hear um, Tracy Morgan would come by the early days of Jim Brewer. They weren't there for the whole show. They were there for just a little while. We didn't need, and I felt when I said we, well, we didn't need somebody there for this, the full duration of the show. You want to kick it off. Hey, what were you watching last night? Oh, I was watching uh, another episode of Gunsmoke at three o'clock in the morning. You know, like that's the stuff I loved about the two of them together. When they started to add other people. Now, I love Bill Burr. I love Patrice. I still listen to the Patrice stuff because it's still somehow relevant yeah. if you listen to it today. Um and I've also, I'll say this too. I've paid to see Jim Norton live in, in, you know, stand up. I just didn't feel like he brought a lot to the show because he would just always throw in one of those jokes that threw off the flow. And you could sense Opie's frustration because he's trying to drive it one way. And then Norton would butt in something. And it was like angry. Norton was different. Angry Norton of the early two thousands contributed the Norton trying to get over the characters of the later 2000s and early 2010s. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Killed the momentum of the show, and I could sense Opie's frustration with all that. Yeah, I hated the characters personally. I'm, I'm yeah, I did that. too. Um, I, I didn't think, yeah, they added anything to the show whatsoever. The only one I thought that was funny was regular Joe because yeah. that was just something they could be talking about a story in the news and they'd be like, well, what yes. do you think, regular Joe? And he would say that too. That was funny. Yeah. Chip never thought it was funny. Uncle Paul never thought it was funny. Uh, what was the other stupid one that he would do? Um, Ted Sheckler, like these, I'm just like this. This just not funny. Like it, it's stupid. And why are we throwing this guy the laughs? They're not good impression. I know they're not meant to be. They just didn't provide. I felt they didn't provide anything. Not no, like cup of tea. 
that's fair. No, and look, I I I think you always make good arguments for for opium. You, you know, you, I like I said, I'm in the middle. I swing back and forth, and so if I'm talking to Husey, I'll be like, yeah, you're right, you're right. And then you're, I'm talking to you, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're I'll right. send Husey something. I'll be like, look, this this is where they all clicked, and yeah. you would hear it, and be like, all right, everything Opie said made sense. Now, did that? Yes, there would become. There's stuff that I do. I watch Get My Go Back, and I go, why did I say that there? I yeah, should have just let let it breathe, or I should have let. I step on Dean all the time, and he hits his fucking desk because he gets pissed off that I step on him. But I'm quick. I'm a quick on the draw kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I've got. I think I've got a bad delay as well, so I, I get stomped on a lot because of that. Because um, I take that extra second to register what's what everything that's been said. But anyway, um, no, you're right. I have moments, and sometimes like Mike will leave something in that I'm like. Oh, I wish he had a clip that. Like, I feel like a bit of a douche. Yeah, they, you go, uh, you're ready to go. And I'm like, uh, you know, ready to talk and you're ready to say something. And I'm like, uh, Rue sucks. And you're like, fuck. And you hear that. And I'm like, oops. On, on Malatown, it happens to me all the time. Uh, I get I get quite irritated. But it's what you were saying about OP um, having someone's got to be the dick. Someone's got to take charge and be the dick. And that is me on Malatown. I I run the show and, you know, the other day on the Christmas party, like they were all saying, geez, you're being a dick today. And it's like, I'm trying to manage fucking seven people on a podcast. I've got people that criticize my audio as soon as I release the fucking thing. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you're like, yeah, I'm being a dick because I'm trying to fucking uh, steer the ship here. But um, you need so it. You, hey, you need it. You need yeah. to be the dick. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes. Exactly. Uh, so you heard that. Um, uh, Husey and I did our top five uh, yes. A bits, and I know that you're pretty keen to do yours. Now, obviously, I've already done mine, and I don't have a fresh five to go. So, we'll just go with yours uh, because I'm interested uh, because you will have stuff from the early years that you might be able to fill me in. I don't know. I'm interested to see where this goes. Yeah, so it's funny. I mean, I'm going off the top of my head here because um, <laughs> I, I that's one thing you learn about my style of broadcasting. I don't like to prepare for stuff. So I did ask you, hey, what do you want to talk about? You told me. And I have a rotating list in my head. I can't look at a paper. I can't do this. I have to go off the cuff. And that's a lot of times when we talk about Mike and his editing. I, You've been on recording to me. We go straight through. If something gets messed up, nine times out of ten is going to stay there. I don't want to edit it. Yeah. But nine times, uh, the other nine times out of ten, we get it right. And there's not a, 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 a faux pas or a, a mess up or a flip or something that we have to get rid of. So I'm going off the top of my head here with a couple. I don't know if I can get to five, but I'll give you a couple. No, by all um, well, yeah, let's just uh, we'll just go uh, random uh, O&A memories. First uh, and foremost. Chat. OK. And I've said I said this to Husey and I said it on the Husey episode I did with him about uh, the, the indefensive Opie. The best thing that I have ever heard in all those years. So from 98 to when they split up, what, 2015, 2014, whenever it was. Yeah. About, yeah. Yeah. 20. Yeah. 20. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> the best one is Patrice O'Neill versus Gallagher. To yeah. me is yeah. I, I listened to it like a week ago. I can listen to that thing over and over and over again. It is the, the poor Gallagher the whole time. This guy who was an icon of comedy in the 80s, who you couldn't you couldn't flip a channel without seeing Gallagher. I remember Comedy Central in the in the 90s used to run Gallagher specials on Saturday morning at like nine o'clock in the morning, like clockwork every week. And I would watch these different Gallagher specials. They weren't great. I just would watch them. I, you know, I had to fill the time somehow before uh, WWF mania. Right. 
But um, Gallagher gets destroyed by Patrice O'Neill, like undressed and destroyed. And by the end of it, you're like, holy shit, <laughs> Gallagher's a racist <laughs> because they <laughs> yes. exposed him so bad that it came out. And it was so natural. And it was and that's one where they're all working together. It's yeah. Patrice. It's uh, uh, Opie. It's Anthony. And they undress poor Gallagher so badly in front of their audience that you end up and you go, shit, Gallagher doesn't like black people <laughs> by the end of it. It's fascinating stuff. So that would be my number one of all time. I I love Patrice. Absolutely love Patrice. And, uh, and everyone does. And P- Patrice was the king of that king of that kind of stuff and i always found that anyone that when patrice was rolling anyone that could get patrice back the other way and make him laugh like you're like that is a good comic because they got patrice they they popped him and um and you know turned things back on him so that's a great memory you just reminded me of one actually that i've always got a chuckle out of uh the donald rumsfeld interview and um and louis ck Yes. continuing to ask him if he's a lizard and him not yeah. saying no. He's not <laughs> saying, yeah, he, he never says no. And if they make this this highly uh, decorated, you know, uh, distinguished man look like such a fool because they just keep on going back to it over and over and over again. Yes, that's it. That is a great one. Not on my list, but it is a good one. Oh, I also liked in the aftermath of that, like the riffing about it. That like he is a lizard man and he's got this little board that he he presses for answers and all that like they just and Anthony just so uncomfortable being the staunch Republican trying yeah. to run that interview and yeah. he he was almost drowning uh, trying to keep that under control so yeah anyway that was just another one that popped into my head what else have you got all right we'll go all the way back to I believe 1999 or 2000 and that is uh, Tom Brokaw on the JFK Jr plane crash anthony is tom brokaw then playing the nbc nightly news theme song with everything that would come in about oh my god it, i remember i had that recorded i remember listening to that on a plane and almost thinking like i was going to go down from laughing so hard that is that is it's the two of them back and forth opie playing the straight man anthony playing tom brokaw unbelievable and again not very topical because it was jfk jr's uh plane going down again it's 99 or 2000 um ridiculous uh it's still it's it, it'll make me cry laughing it's so damn funny um if the, if you know any way of me being able to hear that because that's certainly i'd uh, have to try to find that i don't yeah. even think i've seen that one that's one i have on a cassette somewhere yeah right. uh i bought a turntable that had a cassette player in it so i can uh digitize some of my cassettes oh. and i have yet to, to do that because i have stuff bro with those old commercials and the bumpers in the middle of it um that's up there uh jim brewer as john rocker the former braves pitcher coming back to new york city when the again 1999 the height of the mets versus braves uh or maybe it's 2000 99 or 2000 i'm sorry folks my ears my ears get blended together at this point 99 or 2000 jim brewer as john rocker it was after a sports illustrated article came out about John Rocker bashing New York. He said, you know, he rides the subway and you see a homeless guy, you know, you see a single mother with, uh, you know, crack addiction and this and that. But Brewer playing John Rocker being like an idiot. And again, them, Anthony pretending he's the subway conductor, calling the names of the stops off. It, gold, yeah. gold. But there's a sports tie-in for you too, John Rocker. Very relevant in the year 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, um, I love Anthony's impressions. Like They are fantastic and when he and and i've heard him do his tom broker a, a bunch of times so 
you saying that, I'm like, I've definitely never heard that because I've not never heard anything pre XM. Uh, so, uh, oh that, yeah, no, that, that WAW sound. stuff, dude. When they used to battle management, you know, nothing I could pinpoint, but just like when they would, they would, they would be educating you on how to go about their job. Like, this is what we have to deal with. This is the shit we have to do. We have to go to this sponsor meeting, but we don't want to do this and we don't want to do that. Uh, that stuff still, like, you, if you want to learn about radio, what it used to be like, you listen to that. It's the same thing with Howard. Howard had the same battles, but this was different. This was just like, the thing, the difference between Opie and Anthony and Howard was that you could relate to more with Opie and Anthony as somebody like, you know, now in late 30s, you know, early 40s, you could relate to them at that point because it was the Stone Cold Steve Austin style, fuck you, yeah. to management. Whereas Howard was like an adult. I mean, I know they're about the same age, but it was just a different presentation. Um, if I was going to pinpoint another one, I'm trying to think of one where Opie really stands out to me. Um, and it was in the XM days, but it was on the CBS portion of yep. the XM broadcast. The day after the traveling virus in Camden, where they come, uh, no, not Camden, excuse me, um, PNC. I was at the show uh, at PNC where they booed Mike Birbiglia off the stage and yep. they come on and they just go off on the on the fans. That to me is always the top one because I was at the traveling virus the day before. That's another fucking great one. Is that the one with Bill Goodberg? Rips? Rip no, that's no. I was confused that's camden i think that's the year okay. before yeah okay yeah that's classic that is amazing one, <laughs> dude this show mike berbiglia who i believe is still a comedian he wasn't very funny then i can't see him still being a comedian now um but he did not fit into the Opie and anthony pantheon of comedians of your patrice and norton yeah. and burr and louis ck and uh otto and george and voss and Mike Birbiglia was like a like hipster style, like, you know, uh, yeah. let's let's make you laugh by thinking of funny, like uh, cute, cutesy stuff. Dude, he got booed so bad at the show. He sits down at the base of the stage and he puts his hood over his head in the middle of the set. And they're just like, fuck you, you suck. Boo. <laughs> he also followed up the return of Jim Brewer for the first oh. time in like six years yeah, where that's... the place went apeshit. You would have thought it was like, I've heard, I've been to Madison square garden when Hulk Hogan's music hits. That's what the sound rivaled. Okay. Wow. But Birbiglia on the stage with the hood over his head, they come on the next morning. They're like, you ruined it. We're never doing this again. I can't believe you did this. And they, they just yelling at the, the listeners it is so awesome. It's <laughs> great. The, <clears throat> the Bill Burr one. I've watched that on YouTube. Uh, I love that. 10 minutes left. 10 minutes I, left. I'm I remember listening set. to that. <laughs> I remember listening to that at work. I had the headphones on and I was crying, laughing, and I was trying to do my job and just get through my shit. And just, you know, again, like just, I never thought Bill Burr would be what he is now oh, yeah. back then. Yeah. Never, never. And, and that's the sad part about Patrice. If Bill Burr is what he is now, what the hell would Patrice have been? Oh, absolutely. He was. I reckon he was just about ready to just explode because yeah. um, they did a lot uh, for, for so many comedians. Louis C.K. got um, blew up after, you know, um, going on working with those guys and, and all that. Bill yeah. Burr blew up after that. Uh, even, you know, like a, a Jim Jeffries, the, you know, the Australian slash British comedian, I guess, because he worked over there. He, you know, became mainstream in, in the US. So many of these comedians that, that went through there actually, they, they got some notoriety out of it. 
Absolutely. Jim Jeffries is one that I thought he brought a lot when they brought him in because he was different than everybody yeah. else that they had had. They had never had that kind of international feel to their uh, comedian, uh, you know, rotation. Um, and I thought he was great. And, uh, you know, he's gone on to have a great career as well. Now, my fifth one, I named four, if you noticed. My fifth one would be, and I will bring Norton into this one just because it is great. And it's later, Opie and Anthony. It's the Mimi Beardsley reading of the book excerpts of the uh, the the page that worked for uh, JFK that had an affair with him. That is another one. Well, I could listen to it tomorrow and still laugh at the same part. It's just fucking amazing uh, stuff they used to do. Sad. It's just sad. It will. I said this on Hughesy's show. You will never see them reunite. It, it is too. It's too dirty now. They the Anthony Jim Camp ruined it. They can't go back to to where they once were, uh, and that's a shame because these guys were gold. No, I agree. It's um, <clears throat> it's unfixable at this point. I I held out hope. I held held out a little bit of hope when when Opie got fired uh, just before that. Him and Anthony had spoken again a couple. Of, well, at least once, I believe they they spoke on. Uh, I don't know if they did like a simulcast or if it was just Opie show or whatever, but I held out hope at that point that maybe they could get together again and maybe Opie would go to compounds. Uh, but well, know, it that, could have happened. Yeah. But you know, it's I think not like going you, to now. Yeah. And I think, like you say, I think the magic's gone. I think too much water has gone under the bridge and um, I think it's, it's going to, it'd be really hard to recreate uh, what they'd already done. I think it's, yeah, no, it's now, never going back. Yeah, it's now just a memory, but they're great memories, and I love that there is so much on YouTube that um, you can go back through and uh, and listen to. And um, I, I rounded off my top five with uh, Jocktober uh, last time, and um, that's that's such a great uh, a great format. And obviously, we're utilizing that on uh, Get My Go, uh, and there's another podcast. Who are these podcasts? Which Anthony goes on uh, every now and then, and all that. And look, it's. It's something that I've got more and more passionate about in recent times, like just discussing all of those Opie and Anthony memories and um, and what great radio is and, and, and what great broadcasting is. Like listening to these terrible podcasts with no preparation whatsoever, no thought about format, no. all of that. Um, I've just become more and more passionate about the project of trying to weed out uh, some of these shitty Did. podcasts. Eradicate them. Yeah. You know? And unfortunately, in the wrestling world, there's the the wrestling world's the worst offender, in my opinion, because people get confidence, unfortunately, watching wrestling because they live through these characters that these guys portray. So they take on this false sense of confidence. And and it's very it's it's kind of upsetting, but it's also fascinating in its own right. Now, I didn't I didn't put any Jocktobers on my list just because Jocktober is an unbelievable experience. You know, and that's one thing I will give the the, the worm uh, Sam the credit for that. He'd have to listen to some of these shitty shows. But I mean, all he would do is bring the show to the table. He didn't do the riffing that they would ultimately do. But yeah, you take on that. And I said that to you from the first second before I think any of us knew each other's interests or like preferences to radio styles or broadcast styles. I said, this is Jocktober. This is and this is why I love it. And this is why I want to be a part of it and why I like get my go. For, for the first 18 shows before I popped in to uh, interrupt the uh, the flow of everybody and then throw a little mix of the Chadster uh, curveball into every show. But um, you got to eradicate it, man. It's getting bad and it's only getting worse. It's not getting better. It's just it's more companies make this equipment 
or lack of available, there's just going to be more shows and it sucks. And just because you have a lot of shows doesn't mean you're good. Yes. It just means you have a lot of time on your hands. Yes. And, and, and that's one thing I'm seeing, too. People are stretching themselves so incredibly thin that it dilutes and it, and it just completely takes away from anything you do. I'm trying to do less shows. <laughs> I like being a guest now on shows. I will do this nine times. Uh, I said this. Eight, uh, please take me take out me saying nine times out of ten. I say it too many times. I will do your show or I will do Hughesy's show or Mike or whatever wrestling show wants me to come on. Whenever I I want to lessen the amount of shows that I do because I'm just tired of the process. Um, but just because you have a lot of shows doesn't mean you're good. It just means you got a shitload of time on your hands and you more than likely don't want to be, you know, in your real life. You want to be in this fake life in this little. I mean, the box I'm looking at of me is this little box yeah. right above my head. That's all you want to look at. And it's, yeah. it's that's sad. No, I agree. And just uh, speaking before, there's a lot, lot more these live whether it's live on facebook or, or twitch or youtube or whatever there's so many more of these popping up and i just sit there and go you don't you don't have the ability to go live you what makes you think that you could do this and then you see moments like um when you guys covered um two guys in a wrestling podcast and they're going you know there was choppy connection and you couldn't hear and they're like oh sorry guys this is what happens when you're live and it's like exactly there's no need for this show to be live. You know, no. like it's, it's, it's almost like they just, because they've got no plan as to what they're doing, they're really hoping people come and comment and uh, push their show along. Right. Why? Yeah. That's the only question to have is why. Why are you taking that time to know you might have three people watching you? Why are you taking that time to sit in front of your phone? Most of these people are and, and do this thing. It's just it's not worth the time investment to talk about wrestling with somebody else. You know, And again, I'm saying wrestling as the biggest defender because people and this is what another fascinating part is this false sense of confidence these people have with how they're doing it it boggles my mind. You know, I know I've been in live television situations. That's nerve wracking. That is where it tests a man's fortitude or woman's fortitude to be in front of millions. And, and I've done it right. I've, I've been on television broadcasts that millions of people watch and you have to be in, you have to be cognizant of that when you're talking to three people and people they're messing up and they're flubbing shit and they're this and that. Why? Do you need to do it? If you need to talk about wrestling so much, use your little thing here in your hand and call your buddy and be like, hey, did you see Raw last yeah. night? Did you watch AEW? Did you see what so-and-so was wearing to the ring? I don't get it. I just it's And it's kind of sad more than anything. And the fact that these guys are getting roasted the way they are, you know. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, somebody's, you know, talking about them. Okay, great. It ain't positive, and it's not, it should not, like, um, uh, lead you to do more shows. It should make you close up the old laptop and never open it ever again. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've said to you before, and, and um, it's, I'm just getting more and more um, frustrated with it. Uh, Eric Bischoff, he's got a couple of things to answer for. Calling his book Controversy Creates Cash. Um, now every, every wrestling podcast, I think they need to be controversial and say controversial things. And, yeah. and the other thing is making... The, the whole ratings thing, like, and him bringing it to television and, and it oh, becoming God. such a big, like, everyone's a fucking television and ratings expert these days um, that they know how it's all working. And it, it makes me laugh. Like, you look at The Tonight Show and, and The Late Show and compare that to the late 90s ratings of those two shows yeah. and, uh, and, 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 and tell me that television hasn't changed. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're 100 percent right. It's just it's unfortunately everything is just an expiring medium because there's new ways every day coming out to how to digest content. And when you see these guys that talk to their computer or their phone and you see the little box that has the people count and it's zero, (laughs) one, zero, one, zero, two, zero, four, five. You know what I mean? It goes up and down. And you sit there and you go, this is this is very sad. But yeah, controversy, Bischoff, ratings, the Monday Night War, pipe bomb. No, when you're talking about uh, you're going to trash somebody, I'm going to drop a pipe bomb here. It's this wrestling jargon, this wrestling lingo. Um, I I don't know if you saw this over the last couple of weeks, uh, people talking about the Vince McMahon quote on Raw, where he said how he likes firing people on the holidays because it gives him a nice, warm, funny feeling. That was getting reported as news. What the fuck is that? What happened to this world that you're now taking a wrestling comment done on a television show and that's news and it's memes and Vince McMahon is such a terrible human being and he's this and he's that. Are are we serious? (laughs) Is this for real? What the hell is this? This is this is a parody of what wrestling and entertainment Used to be, you know, I mean, even the the YouTube people, um, the the one guy, the big fat guy, um, that we that get my go did. I don't think oh, I was on. What's uh, his name? Otaku or Otaku? That's Otaku. the one. No, yeah, Ota- yeah. Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't forget. Yeah, yeah you, you can't forget. The, the fat guy Otaku with his people blockers. Okay, he's <laughs> yeah. wearing these because he's afraid to look at the camera. Okay, no. he's doing this because in this world with these on, he's a great big deal. If he takes these things off, he's He's scanners, the scene where the guy's head blows off. Okay. Yeah. It's this false sense of confidence that all these shows have that are influenced by wrestling. I would love to study entertainment podcasts for like a month and see yeah. if it's the same thing that, you know, some jack off sees a Marvel movie and is like, well, no, I could tell you everything there ever is about Marvel movies and this and that. It's like, just shut up. Just let the professionals do it. Enjoy your content. And now I'm a hypocrite because look, I'm not a huge professional. I don't have a million people listening to my shows, nor do I want it, nor did I intend to have that. I just knew I could put out stuff that would entertain people. And that's all I I think I still do to this day. And if I'm a hypocrite, then go fuck yourself because I don't feel that way. Uh, I I just, I need this to stop with all the shitty 
people. So I will be a get my go member until the <laughs> dying day. And I think we need to expand more and we need to do more because we need to shit on the rest of these shitty podcasts. No, I agree. And I've been, as I've said to you before, I've been listening to who are these podcasts, which they do do a different topic every week. He go, he always goes back to stuttering John. And there's this guy that I've I've fallen in love with, Patrick Michael, Patty C Cups. Um <laughs> I've heard of it. I've never I've never experienced it, but I've heard. Yeah. So um, but yeah, there's so many different styles, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? We don't we we don't have to focus on wrestling with get my go. We can uh, we can go after other podcasts and uh, and find something different because there is just so many shows out there where yeah people are just you know throwing hit and record not doing any editing thinking thinking they're the you know they're the bomb you know they can like everyone thinks the oh you know if me and my mates if we recorded this this would be a great podcast like I've said it to my mates before but what I do know is is when you press record it's completely different you're not just chatting with your mates anymore you're 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 under the pump. You've got to keep talking. You can't have pauses. You can't, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, is it, there's plenty, plenty to go after out there. Um, for you with Get My Go, um, looking back over season one and, and the early parts of season two, uh, obviously episode 53 is is a favourite for, for all of us, but what are some of your favourite memories going back across uh, Get My Go with oh, man. you discovering That's, it? Not? Episode 53 is... I've said this publicly. I said it on Eyes of Peer. You know, I said it on Get My Go. I'll say it on any place they'll have me. I think I said it with Husey. I'll say it with my, I'll say it with anybody. Episode 53 is the best podcast release I have ever been featured on. It is filled with natural, just perfectly timed comedy. We did not rehearse it. We did not say, hey, this would be a funny line. Hey, say this or that. That was the most natural like flow of just genius <laughs> coming out of every one of us. Cause it just clicked that morning for some reason, right? It just clicked. There's stuff that I listen, I've listened to it back. I haven't listened to it in, you know, like a month or two or whatever, but the first week it came out, I listened to it a bunch of times and I just was catching myself, like seeing something that I said that like off the cuff, you were the only person that laughed at, but you laughed yeah. at it like hysterically or Husey said something and nobody else caught it, but I laughed at it. And I'm like, this is genius. This is so fucking funny that you couldn't have written this uh, any better than it came out. So it, it always now going to start and stop with episode uh, 53. And what I also love about get my go is we don't, hold ourselves to the previous episode, right? We don't say, hey, episode 50, 53 was unbelievable. 54 has got to be better. We yeah. got to do it better than 54. No, shit, we'll go back to episode, you know, 47 if we need to. <laughs> like, it doesn't need to be the top funny one every time. 53 was a special moment <laughs> of gold that just, yeah. I wish Joe was on there. I wish the regulars were all on it at the same time because it's like, you, mm, mm. you missed it. It was so unbelievable. Um I will, what I, I will know. say, sorry, what I will say about that particular show is you're right. I, I just remember there's been so many shows where we've ended the recording and I've sort of walked away and gone, shit, I don't, I don't think I was very funny tonight. Like I don't, I don't think I said much funny stuff. That after 53 recording, I walked away going, that is by far the funniest thing I've done. And, and everybody else in the room was being funny as well. Uh, died. That was so much fun to do that recording. So, yes. Definitely 53 is a favorite for me. Yeah. I And then I, I like a lot of the earlier ones that I wasn't a part of only because I didn't, I, you know, I don't know the stories of everybody. 
why they had their beef with uh, with, with Wangland and why this, the show came about. So I could kind of just give or take. I love the Jeff Lane episode, the first one. Um, I thought that was, uh, you know, I thought that was great. The two-parter yeah. with Jeff Lane. Um, John was particularly maniacal in that one. The clip, the clip, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. The clip that they were playing, uh, he was he was going off the deep end on that one. Yeah, there, there's that. Is that the one where he was doing the promo at the uh, the the vacation house? No, that's uh, that's episode eight, I think. Don't cast light on people. Okay, that, yeah, when he's one? when that he's quietly great. talking in the yes. um, in the vacation home, that's around the time that I met him. <laughs> yes, that's, that, that's another personal. All right, so I'll go to that number eight. Is uh, that's up there. I don't say it only because I don't want to put myself over, but I do like the, the narrative of episodes uh, 19 and 20 uh, only because that was a little bit of the turn of the get my go world, because now you guys all talk to him. You collaborated with him. I met the guy and yeah. I was able to add like a real perspective to it because, and I'll still say it to this day, I got nothing against the guy. He's just a bad podcaster and I want to expose bad podcasting. This is my best outlet to do so. Um, something about that. Again, it just kind of changed the, the direction a little bit, gave it a little bit more of a real thing. And like I've said this and I will if I ever have to go on keeping it 100 to defend, get my go. I bring the outsider's perspective and maybe this is nothing against me. The rational thinking to the get my go world, because I have no dog in the fight. I, I didn't know these guys from Adam, you know, and, and I met him. Yes, but I didn't know him. I didn't work with him. I didn't collaborate with them. So I kind of bring a more realism to the table as it relates to my perspective. So, uh, yeah, man, those would probably be it. I mean, they're all great. You know, they're all great in their own regard. There's a few, you know, I'll skip. Yeah. yeah I have to. Yeah, there's the odd one here and there for me as well. Um, you know, leading into my episode, there's a few I'll skip, you know, yeah. just oh, yeah, jump over it, get by it. There's four that I have never listened to again. I listened to them once and I'll never listen to them again. And you're on, you're on two of them. Um, I, I took my medicine and I listened to the, the forecast rating, the bros ones, but uh, one, one was listen was enough. I, you know, I that was bad. On. Oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta say, I love uh, jive store, bro. That's another oh, yes. great one. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a great one. Uh, some at the beginning, you know, I do love the original run, you know, like the first 10, but mm. there's a couple that I do tend to skip over sometimes only because, you know, there's just, Parts of it I, I can't really listen to um, anymore. So, yeah. but yeah, man, gotta gotta love it. Just a great, it's just a so great much experience. Fun. And I will say, you are one hundred percent correct. Episode nineteen was uh, was my favorite uh, for a long time because of that aspect. Like you said, you actually met this guy, and the story is so John. Like it's amazingly John that story where he's he's got the car full of people that he just leaves in the park and leaving in the car for like <laughs> an hour and a half two hours and I'm sitting there being like why why am I here like what what am I doing this guy's this guy's a nobody like what the heck am I wasting my night with missing a great Mets versus Nationals uh, showdown that the night before okay and and you can go Google this after YouTube it after this is over. The night the Mets came back and just humiliated the Nationals. They were on that amazing run in 2019 where they were getting so close to, to making the playoffs and they ran the table and they uh, they tied it with two outs in the ninth inning. Todd Frazier, this epic home run, and they won it in the, the bottom of the inning, uh, bottom of the 10th. And the next night, it was the same thing. It was gritty, nothing, nothing game that just 
playing their ass off and they go ahead in the in the eighth. And I sat in stupid wangling for that whole entire game and finally got back in my car for the end of it. Feel going for the team though, mate. You you brought a you brought a great story back uh, to get my go, and yeah, like I say, that was it's such a great story. Um, Yeah, you're the only person I I think to actually meet him face to face, there, man. Um, And I still don't think anyone like even brother Martin, who he podcasts with, and Richie Reardon, who he podcasts with. They've never actually met him in person. Um, What it was for me, and I, I know what you mean about like you being an outsider, and what it was for me. Obviously, like I had my beef, but it wasn't really that big a deal to me. Like I was leaving those guys anyway. They, 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 they cut me, you know, two weeks before I was leaving and then blocked me. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck, you know? Um, and then, so get my go came along and I was just like, Oh, this seems like a lot of fun. I want to be a part of it. And then I started listening and it's funny to think like I was on all these shows with him and I used to laugh at him and make fun of him a little bit on shows. But when I started listening to his back catalog, I was like, this is unbelievable how bad he is at this <laughs> and how he just doesn't get English. That. So it almost became fun for me trying to find clips. Like there's a lot of boredom like listening to it, but I've got a you know pretty boring job. So it's easy for me to just have it in my ears and drift away. But there right. is some hilarious stuff that you, st- you stumble across. And um, yeah, not too many people actually make me laugh as hard as he does when obviously it's ironic, but um, yeah, it's still quite amusing. The, the, the butchering of the English language will forever be the the one that always gets me because he just says some of the dumbest stuff and the, whatever the latest episode was like i just I, mike stopped to just like laugh at it because i was like man i was like what the fuck did he just say <laughs> like what the <laughs> hell was that that didn't even make a, if it was going to make a lick of sense it didn't make half a lick of yeah. sense it was so like just absolutely re- ridiculous almost said the r word sorry <laughs> that's right i would have clipped it um yeah the the title the episode title was some huge waves that's out there like just, yeah like that, <laughs> what but is that's that? okay but that again it's nerves yeah. it's the nerves that people have when they're in front of the microphone that they don't know what to say so they just start to babble and they start to say stuff that doesn't make any english sense because they don't have a natural ability to find the word that they're going to, to use at the right time. And I, I get it. It happens. You know, if I do one of my solo new generation shows and, and I have to fill that 30 something minutes of time, I, not everything I say is going to be spot on or perfect, but you maintain a flow of being able to talk like a human being when this thing is in front of you, not, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, there, man, uh, 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 yeah, here, there, man, you know, um, 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 here, there, man, there, here, man, you know, like you can't, you can't just substitute real language and talking for bumbling and stumbling. And then the other idiot, forget it. I don't even want to go into that other asshole. Just this guy, literally, the, the stupidity that comes out of his mouth. I mean, just shut the fuck up. He's just such a dickhead. He, I don't know why this kid has any ability to sit in front of his time, his, his whatever, and say, I'm going to now waste an hour and a half uh, making horrible shit jokes, if you can call him that, about wrestling at two o'clock in the morning with some dude in New York. Like, what the hell? Just go to sleep. We've seen that. Just go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't. I- I think he'd like to call them jokes, but no, you're right. It's it's terrible and, and oh, uh, bad impressions. Mm. Like it's not funny. It's not cute. It's not. It's embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourself 
you're embarrassing your family, which obviously we've come to, you know, get great enjoyment out of the embarrassment of his family. You know, like you're but you're putting it out there. I'm not putting my family out there. I'm not bringing this stuff to light. I'm not putting my kid on a podcast um, and then on the same show talking about, you know, fucking my wife in the bathtub or whatever the hell it was. I'm not doing that kind of or what was it? If he put his kid on the podcast or no, he talked about his dead grandma on the same podcast that he talked about fucking his wife in the bathtub or something, right? Yes. Like, uh, come yeah. on. So what, then, what is that? Yeah. And, and then you're, you're on get my go saying, stop implicating your wife. Stop, you know, stop bringing your family into this. The next show he had his daughter on. Yeah. Like th- th- that's exactly it. You know, I've had, my wife has come on eyes up here with uh with francine but we've done it on the patreon side of things you know like we've done it where okay you know my wife's not a, a, the draw for it but you know what i'm not just gonna bring her on hey come sit next to me during get my go yeah. let me tell you something she was just as funny as us during episode 53 she watched all of episode 53 and laughed her ass off not knowing anything about the subject matter and just seeing how funny it was with the people you know, reacting to this horrible video and her, some of her stuff could have made the air. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love reading the comments and some of the things that people come up with in the comments. Uh, when I'm watching episodes that I'm not on or even episodes that I'm on and I, I notice something that we missed, it's like, how do we fucking, how do we skip past that and not fucking pick up on that? You know, and same thing with the episodes that I'm not on. I, I'd sit there and go, oh, guys, you, you missed your opportunity here and, and blah, blah, blah. So now everyone's got their own take on it and it's, it's all very amusing. Um, Look, I, I could talk to you fucking for hours, uh, but we've I think we've knocked out nearly an hour and a half at this point. I think we've done pretty well. So um, we'll, I didn't uh, realize how much time went by. I mean, it's <laughs> said, but that's it. When you have a natural conversation and it's not written down on, on a piece of paper and followed to the T with a, a format, you tend to just lose yourself in the discussion. And yeah, here we were talking about broadcasting an hour and a half ago. Who who even remembers that? You know, like we we've moved on to hit so many different points. By now, it's like, uh, you know, oh, yeah, he, he did go to uh, broadcasting school. Who cares? You know, like, gives a shit. Exactly. It was an well, hour ago. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thanks for being so generous with your time. And um, I know you had to work today, so uh, always appreciate it, mate. Um, let everyone know about your vast empire. You've got the CMPT empire, wow. all your different uh, podcasts that you do. And, um, yeah, yeah. Any, your Twitter, all that. Well, look, I appreciate it again. I, I really I love doing shows with you because, again, it's a natural conversation um, and how, you know, two people from other sides of the galaxy essentially can come together and talk about some some similar things like Opie and Anthony or, or sports. And I love coming out and talk about anything and everything. I'll talk wrestling. I know how to separate the worlds. I can talk wrestling. I'll talk broadcasting. I'll talk sports. I'll do whatever. Uh, but if you want to follow me on uh, social media, it's at Chad EMB. On Twitter, on Instagram, it's at IB Exclusives. That is the name of my sports memorabilia company that I own and operate. I do private autograph signings with mostly baseball and wrestling superstars. Uh, You can send in items to be signed by said wrestling or baseball superstar uh, to me, or you can purchase something directly from me from the signing, make great gifts. Obviously, with Christmas, we did a lot of business. that's kind of my side to podcasting and my broadcasting world. I, I tend to put my hands in a lot of pots, Dean, and sometimes it overextends myself. And I have to remember that I, I do have a life and that's why I'm trying to lo- limit my podcasting uh, time, which by chance, if you do want to follow us, two man power trip of wrestling podcast empire, 
TMPTEmpire.com. Almost eight years in the making of, of just dynamite wrestling content. Interviews now have grown into different subsection shows. Uh, my partner, John Paz, uh, does shows like the Hogan era, and he does amazing shows with uh, Dr. Tom and Dutch Mantel and Kevin Sullivan. Uh, me, I do New Generation Declassified. It's a show taking place in the mid-90s of the WWF. Dean has been on with me. Uh, we, we've had a great time. It is the easiest listen in the podcasting world. About 35 minutes of uh, just wrestling talk that you, you learn something and you're gone and it's over and you're like, oh, shit, it was quick. Uh, but please come and listen to that. I love doing that show. Uh, one of the ones I do love. Actually, I like I like doing the ones that I do. I just, you know, I'm trying to eradicate some. Just get rid of a few. Uh, <laughs> Eyes up here with the Queen of Extreme Francine. That's on Patreon dot com slash Francine podcast, as well as on Joe Feeney's creative control network and uh, the triple threat podcast with John Paz and the franchise Shane Douglas on the Russo brand. Uh, I get to sit with the franchise Shane Douglas every week and you don't. So it's true. I'll just leave it at that. But my, <laughs> my plugs were longer than new generation declassified. <laughs> yeah. We've now, we've now blown past two hours. It. <laughs> Thanks for coming on my real appreciate it. Love chatting with you. And um yeah, like that time just flew by for me. Uh, for for Malatown on Twitter, we are at Malatown. Uh, you can hit us up on email for our mailbag, militia at gmail.com. And uh, on Twitter, I am at that sussy guy. Just imagine that Aussie guy and put an S where the A should be. We'll catch you next time on Malatown. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.